Welcome to StoryWise, the podcast designed to give you the in-depth story behind some of our top storytellers as a way to inform, motivate, and inspire you to believe that you too can make your dreams a reality. My name is Jen Grisanti. I am the Story Career Consultant at Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc., a writer's consultancy designed to help you accomplish your writing goals and reach your career destination through one-on-one consults, seminars, and teleseminars. And I am so excited to have with me as my guest today, Nikki Toscano. Let me tell you a little bit about Nikki. Honored by Entertainment Weekly in 2011 as one of the top 20 people behind the scenes, Nikki Toscano is currently a producer on ABC's Revenge. Her first break came when she won a number of contests, Slam Dance and Scriptapalooza among them. Using the heat off the contest, she managed to sell a pilot idea to CBS Paramount based on her life. She adopted a 12-year-old boy from a children's home when she was 26, which segued into a staff writer gig on Close to Home. From there, she staffed on Las Vegas until the writer's strike cut that gig short. Coming off the strike and maternity leave, she couldn't get staffed to save her life. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) But it was a blessing in disguise as she was able to cultivate her real love development. Nikki sold a pilot to Fox 21 that uh, Antoine... Fuqua. Yes, there we go. Thank you. (laughs) Training day attached to and then sold two other pilots that same year to CBS and ABC. On the heels of that development cycle, she was offered another blind script to ABC, but rolled it to staff on the critically acclaimed Detroit 187. Unfortunately, Detroit never found its audience and got canceled. She then staffed on Revenge and is now returning for the second season. Nikki is also developing a pilot for ABC this year. Nikki's foray into the creative process began when she would write poems to her parents in order to get out of being grounded. This catapulted her desire to explore writing in other mediums. Before she was a screenwriter, she was a journalist writing for magazines like Nylon and Black Book. Realizing that her heart wasn't in it, she went back to school and attended USC, getting her master's in screenwriting and fiction. Love it. Wow. <laughs> that is very impressive. And I think I knew her when. Uh, I I met with you. I was trying to think what year it would have been. Um, was it CBS Paramount, right? Yeah. I think it was either... Like 2005? Somewhere around that. Yeah. Because yeah. it was like I... You were right on your track but hadn't really jumped in it yet yeah I was basically trying to get my first staff job when I was taking these general meetings and you were one of those meetings and I remember (laughs) loving loving your writing your voice and loving you in the room thank you so proud of you thank you very much so fantastic so there's lots that I want to cover I mean we definitely I want to cover development I want to cover 
pregnancy and the writer's room because you now have three kids. Uh, and also the fact that your story kind of helped in getting you your first job, which I love. So I want to talk about that. Um, so uh, why don't we start with I love your journey um, as far as where you were and where you are now. So kind of take us from, say, the time you graduated USC with your master's in screenwriting. Um, well, I graduated USC, and I really did not know anyone. I didn't have any sort of inside into the into the um, entertainment industry at right. all. Right. Um, I didn't really know anybody, and because I had I had a kid to support. Um, I couldn't take a writer's assistant job because it just didn't pay enough money. Right. So I was working full time uh, managing bars all around Los Angeles and bartending. I love it. Um, and um, and basically trying to find a way to sort of break in. And it sort of came. I didn't know anyone, like I said. So I reached out to um, a guy named John Max, who is, I believe, still a writer for Jay Leno. Right. Who was the only writer that I, working writer that I knew. Right. And he had played in this like over thirty baseball league with a boyfriend. And um, so I sat him down and I took him to lunch, and I asked him for his input, and he asked to read some stuff of mine, which by then I had amassed, you know, a few specs and and maybe an original pilot. Um, and he read it and he liked it and he passed it on to somebody um, who then passed it on to the woman that later became my manager. And then she started trying to, you know, send me out. Andrea, yes. And um, so Andrea was trying to send me out, was trying to sell me, um, was trying to sell the journalist aspect, but it was really, really difficult to break in. So I just entered every single contest I could possibly enter. Right. Um, anything that I could do, any writing program that I could, any, it was just, I just kept on sending every new piece of material out that I possibly could. And that was another thing that I was doing. And throughout this whole time, I sort of never stopped writing. I just kept on sort of amassing this arsenal of spec scripts and pilots. Um, I think I had probably about eight scripts written before I got any breaks. See, that is a great tip. Everybody hear that. So you had like eight scripts before anything really started yeah. happening. Great. I think, yeah, I think I had like six or seven specs and maybe two pilots before. What, now, when you wrote your specs, did you write within the same genre family? No. Oh, all right, good. Um, I did not. Um, I think in the beginning, I was so sort of desperate to get a job that I was trying to write for as many shows as I possibly could um, to try to show that I had range. Um, that's at least what I was trying to sell in the beginning. So if it came up that there was a job on... I don't even know what was around. CSI, I had a script that would cater to that. And if there was a job that came up on Sex and the City, I would have a spec that catered to that. Um, so I kind of went, I think I wrote, um, the first spec I wrote was The Practice. I wrote an alias. I wrote a 24. I wrote The Shield. I wrote a Sex oh and the City. Gosh. I wrote, um, I know there's a couple other ones out there. And then I had a couple pilots as well. Great. So that was kind of, um, and then and then basically, um, I had written and I had written a pilot that I had entered into the slam dance teleplay competition, and back then it was its first year, um, and I, I think I got I won best drama in that competition, and then I also won. 
um, Scriptapalooza um, for a 24 spec that I had written. Right. And I think that that was kind of what put me over um, in a, you know, and, and my manager was able to sell me in a way that people could sort of latch onto. Because right. I think that a lot of people are sort of motivated by fear. But if you have a bunch of contests under your belt or you have a bunch of things, they can say, oh, well, somebody else likes them. So they're not, you know, yep. too scared you about putting their. on the head, boy. Yeah, it's so true. It is. I always feel that the contests add so much to your creative bio. So I love for people to hear the story behind someone who the contest actually really did work in moving you forward. Yeah, and it was it was not um, initially. I, I think that after I won those contests, I don't even think I staffed that year, but I did. Um, I did develop, and I still did not have an agent. Um, but there was a pilot that I had written that had um, that play or won the slam dance thing, um, and. Some people were interested in developing that pilot, and right. I was taking I was taking meetings in a way that I hadn't taken meetings ever before, right. and was meeting with all these different people that wanted to develop this specific pilot idea. And I went into CBS Paramount to talk about that idea, but when they had uncovered that I had started doing work on a pilot that was sort of chronicling my life story, which was adopting a adopting a 12-year-old boy when I was 25 or 26 years old, um, that was what they were more interested in. And the pilot, the other pilot sort of went on the back burner for a while. Tell us about that story. About the pilot or yeah, about no, the, the idea of story? what inspired a 26-year-old to adopt a 12-year-old and then how what inspired the pilot idea that came from that choice? Well, the, the thing that inspired... Everything on a whole was basically that I, um, my husband had been volunteering at a children's home and he had known Justin, who is our son, now our son, um, as a special friend. And when I met my husband, um, we kind of just jumped in with both feet and he was thinking about fostering um, Justin at the time. And I was kind of like, yeah, go ahead. That's, that's cool. You do that. And then I realized that I was falling in love with him and then. And then I was on suddenly on board, and we were meeting with DCFS, and then uh, it sort of just the ball just sort of started getting rolling. But the the sort of interesting aspect of the pilot that I sort of wrote was the fact that I was a kind of this crazy wild child who was now pretty much a kid raising a kid, right? Um, and you know, not to mention that my son is from you know was was born and raised in South Central and my husband's French. And so there were a lot of different things that were sort of catering to the multiple aspects of this world. Coming together into a melting pot in your own home. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So he's like 19 right now. He's 22. Oh, my gosh. And now I've told everyone how old I am. Oh, don't worry. (laughs) Don't worry. No, no, no. Wow. Wow. And now you have two other kids. I do. I do. I have a seven and a half year old boy and a four and a half year old girl. Oh, boy. Wow. Now, and, and, you know, then we're going to jump into revenge. But before we do, I, you and I had talked about before the interview, and I said, you know, so many women want to understand how do you be a working TV writer and a mom? And I think you are the perfect person to go into that as far as like women who 
Um, like when they first find out they're pregnant, I have girls who will say to me, do I keep it private? Do I tell them right away? What do I do? Like, give us some sense of what your journey was with that. Um, well, as far as balance, I'm probably not a good person to go to (laughs) because there isn't a whole lot of balance in my life. I feel ultimately if you are ambitious at all, um, if you're working on writing, you feel bad about being away from your children. And if you're with your children, you feel bad about being away from your writing. Yeah. Um, I mean, one definitely should take precedence, but it's, it's sometimes, sometimes it's hard because I am incredibly ambitious. Um, so that's, you know, that's so honest it's, though. Yeah. It's more about, um, for me, it's, you know, I, I, I struggle with, with that balance a lot. Luckily I have a husband, um, who's an actor and who is wonderful with our children. So I have the ability to go off on the weekend and write for 10 hours in a coffee shop if I need to. Right. Um, so that's right. Good. Um, as far as how I felt when my first baby I had before I got staffed on a show. My right. second baby I got pregnant um, at the very beginning of a of my stint on Las Vegas, which was kind of short lived because we kind of backed into the writer strike. Uh-huh. Um, so I don't think that I told work until I was about. I don't know, three months pregnant. Yeah. Um, and by then, my boobs had ballooned and everybody thought <laughs> there that. There was no hiding it. Everybody just thought that I was I was gaining weight because my office was next to the kitchen. Um, so That's funny. So it was one of those things um, that at a certain point became difficult to hide. But And surprisingly, um, everybody over at Las Vegas, Gary Scott Thompson and Matt Pikin were in incredibly supportive. Um, I think a large, you know, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I was trying to roll with it. I was, I had a pretty tough first four months, so it was hard to hide vomiting, especially when you're like pitching a joke and then running out of the room to throw up and then coming back in and being like, no, I'm totally fine. This is so much fun. This is great. But the bottom line is you did it. Yes. Which is great. Yes. And, um, and yeah, and you know, and I do I think that pregnancy affects uh, your career? Did my career take a hit because of pregnancy? Absolutely, it did. Um, but ultimately, your children are worth it. So it's kind of it's, it's it wh- deepens your writing as well. Yeah, yeah, and it's just one of those things. But when you're nine months pregnant and you're walking into a meeting with an executive, assuring them that hey, in another month I'll totally be ready to come on staff. Sometimes they don't believe you. Um, so. Well, I think, you know, I definitely think it's important. I'm very happy. Like the fact that you have been working for as on as many shows as you have and selling as many pilots as you've been selling in the midst of raising three kids, I think, is a huge source of inspiration. So I, I, I definitely thank you so much for being honest and touching upon that. Uh, okay, so jumping into Revenge, <laughs> which is like a huge hit and has such an amazing following. Tell me, tell me about everything as far as what led to that job, what script got you in there, like maybe any tips even about did you meet on that job and what was the meeting like and a- anything that gives guidance to writers. I was probably not the 
perfect. I mean, I was probably not the person that they had in mind for revenge. I had been put into a pretty dark box with the pilots that I'd sold and the fact that I was coming off of Detroit 187, which right. while it was a cop show and it was on it was on ABC, um, there was a sort of darkness to the material. So I was kind of getting put into that box. Um, and so it was sort of a fluke. I don't think that um, I think. ABC has been incredibly, incredibly supportive of my career, but I was probably not the first person popping into their mind when they were thinking about staffing Revenge. Um, So it basically was a fluke. My manager sent over material, um, Joe Fazio, who was then the writer's assistant who writer's assistant to Mike Kelly, who is now a staff writer um, and I'm or a story editor, I'm sorry, and he's amazing. Um, he had read my pilot and passed it on to Mike, and I went and met with Mike, and Mike and I had an offer by the end of the day. So, oh my gosh, that's fantastic! Um, it was pretty. It was it was pretty great, and I I just dug Mike from the start. You know, we just um, we hit it off, and he had a very clear vision of what he wanted for the show, and I did feel that there were some there were things in my arsenal that could cater to that. And, right. You know, and when you're in those rooms, that's kind of what you're you're trying to sort of inadvertently like bring up the fact that you're perfect for everything that they've got going on in your show. You know right, what I mean? Right. Um, so thinking about parts of your story that could fuel the idea of this is this person's got a great well for what I'm trying to write. Exactly. Yeah. And I and I feel like showrunners in those situations, I mean, they're pretty much casting their writer's room. Right. You know what I mean? If you're yes. gonna have you're figuring out how all not not just wow this person I think this person can really write my show, but as well as is this person going to get along with this other person who also has a big voice? Or does this person get, get along with this sh- make this shy person feel uncomfortable about something or whatever it is? And I think that one thing that Mike has consistently done on the show for both seasons, because we've had some some staff changes, is he continues to staff the show where there's just like a wonderful well of people, of writers. Um, I feel like it's rare where you're in a situation where everybody in the writer's room is somebody you could go grab a beer with, you know? Oh, I love it. Which is a pretty cool thing. That, so, so it seems like a pretty healthy writer's room. Yes, it That's is. That's great. It is, and I haven't, it hasn't always been that way. So, right, you know, yeah. There have been shows where experience. it's not, you know, yeah. but, um, but this one is. Um, and now as far as breaking story, how, because Revenge is so serialized, how do you guys do you break it as a group in the room and then everybody and then people individually go off and write their episode? How do you do that? That's pretty much how it works. I mean, it's you know, it starts with obviously where we left off because right. there are with the exception of having a having a takedown in some of the episodes, which mm-hmm. is probably the only procedural element of the show, it's insanely serialized. So you are constantly having to just rework stuff, especially because you could be on a network call on 109 and some note could pull out a thread that affects 110 and then you're rewriting that. Yes. Um, so it's basically us breaking the story together, putting the beats of the outline, you know, up on the board and then um, and then one person pretty much taking it from there or or two people, depending upon what the situation calls for or how how much our backs are up against a wall, because with a serialized drama versus a procedural, that can happen very fast. Yes. Um, because a procedural, you can always have somebody just, you know, telling some independent cop story in their office with their dead body and their turns of the story and then if there's some character in there you can sort of insert it in there but when it's just character you don't have the freedom to do that I like that that's a very good point now what about like when I look at the characters I do often wonder 
do are there certain writers that are really good at writing writing certain characters and and do sometimes people like like who would you say is your favorite character to write toward or are you connect with the most um well it would be two separate questions because right. i don't i i probably connect to um jack and declan the most cuz they sort of I'm kind of a blue collar girl at heart, and right. so the downstairs version is always fun. But right, but those aren't the people that I would prefer to write for. I like writing. Um, Nolan's a gas. Right, like, I I actually have to pull myself back because I could literally gas. write right. a zinger for every piece of dialogue he has. And right, then at the end, I kind of go through and just pull out the ones that aren't as good as the you know. Right, um, and then Victoria, right, because it's nice sort of taking somebody yes. who's taking somebody who's saying something regular in some kind of way and elevating it to having this sort of air of superiority and there it's fun coming up with like the little isms that can go along with her voice um so and that is great now it, it is interesting when you deal with say evil characters or darker characters do you ever deal with actors who feel it's gone too far or like what did you ever deal with that with with um, yeah, I mean, they'll they'll speak up. I mean, I feel like I feel like a, for the most part, I feel like most of the actors on Revenge trust the writing. That's great. Um, which is not always, you know, it right. doesn't always happen. So I know it, that it's, it's a yeah. gift. Yeah. Um, I do believe though when when the actors do have a note where they think it's like out of character for some reason, it. it, it I do believe that there's there's a good deal of thought put into whatever note that they're giving, um, for the most part. I mean, you know, you can always have something they don't feel like saying or whatever. Somebody's in a bad mood that day or whatever it might be. But for the most part, I feel like they're pretty trusting. They stick, yeah, they stick they're pretty to trusting. The, they the, might want to change like a line here right, or there or right. say like I wouldn't say it this way, and it's you know. But I I, I kind of go back to the sort of this sort of quote that I heard, and I I won't be able to quote it accurately, that I think it was like Aaron Sorkin said or something like that. Like, he's the one that's, you know, like Mike Kelly is ultimately the one that knows this character better than anyone else. Right. Because he created it and because he's taken them through everything. And I just believe that it comes back to, comes back to the writers. Yeah. At every Now, have you guys, like when you, when the show first started, did you feel... Like I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Like, did Mike? Did did you feel that it was going to be as big as it is? I don't think any of us could have predicted right. that right. it was going to be. It, it's still pretty surreal to me, and and I know, um, I know it is to Mike. Um, it was just, I don't know. It just sort of caught on, and all of a sudden, the. It was it was kind of one of those things where all of a sudden I was talking to my agents and and when they were referring to Revenge they were like oh but you're on a hit show now and I was like I am like <laughs> when did that happen like right. I, you know and I think that um, I think that the the biggest point when I sort of realized it was in juxtaposition to the show that I was on last year, which was Detroit 187, which I loved with all my heart. I loved um, Detroit 187, too. And I loved my yeah. my boss, David Zabel, who right. um, is truly, truly amazing. And But it did not find the viewers that it needed. So right. it was kind of strange. All of a sudden, there were people reaching out to me from high school or from wherever, like the most yes. just insane places, and saying like, oh, you're, you know, 
like, oh, I, I saw your name on TV, and I was like, really? I, my name's been on TV before, but all of a sudden, but you, this but was you're sort probably of, in a tunnel with the work. Yeah, so, you yeah. are in a tunnel, and you yeah. have no idea. So while it's while it's it's nice, and it certainly allows you know for certain opportunities that maybe you wouldn't have had before. I think that ultimately, like when you're in it, you're just so in it, yes. and, and and you're literally like, oh, cool, we're a hit show, and then you're like, I got to write episode ten. Yeah, you know exactly. So. Well, this is due tomorrow. Exactly, so you get pulled right out. Um, now, uh, as far as, um, okay, so the cliffhangers, you guys work so closely with one another, like what you talked about, if one thing changes in one, it could offset the other. So, so there is like rewriting that gets done in that part. What would you say, what would you say is the easiest part of the writing process and what is the most challenging? For specifically writing revenge or yeah. writing any script? For revenge. Um, I would say that the easiest part is when you get actually get to script because right. it's fun right. and you get to have fun with the characters. The hardest part is the serialized nature of the show by right. far because right. it changes every step of the process. Like you could be so far down a road and have a script that is that you love that gets pulled out because they change something in the script that procedures. I, you know, I think that, that would that's, be hard. I think that that's that that's the biggest thing. I think that with Revenge more than any other show, one of the one of the lessons that I think all of the writers have learned or or already had had learned was that you just roll with it like yeah. you can't be too married to anything that 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 gets put on that board because it uh, can get taken down in about a second i think that's a very good point though like not attaching too much to an idea which has got to be hard and i could definitely say i know from covering so many serialized shows in my career that that i remember that one decision and one choice could affect the rest of a season that had already been mapped out. Yeah. And so, yeah. So I get that. All right. Well, gosh, that is fantastic. So with that, we are going to take our first break. We are here with Nikki Toscano of Revenge, and we will be right back. You're listening to StoryWise with entertainment consultant Jen Grisanti. StoryWise is a podcast designed to give you the story behind the people who tell stories, offering you insight on what it takes to work as a writer in television and film. Hear this and other podcasts on www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com, a full-service writer consultancy committed to guiding your vision. We are back with Nikki Toscano from Revenge. So development has definitely been a huge part of your career from the start. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you come up with your ideas? Your, so your first one you definitely borrowed from your life. Yes. Is it, what about from there? Um, I mean, it usually comes... Everything that I've developed has probably come from a feeling I've had while reading something, watching something, or perceiving something. Um, And it's usually me trying to find a way to build a world to a moment or build or vice versa. Um, And so, uh, you know, everything that I have sold, um, oddly enough, um, in the, I don't know, that was not based on my life story. Right. Was some, I, I sort of have this odd um, fascination with the Irish mob. Right. Um, specifically the Irish mob that operates out of South Boston. And it's sort of been this just crazy obsession for like years and years and years. And pretty much the last three pilots that I have sold have been 
um, set in Boston with some kind of some kind of organized crime element to them. Right. Um, and, you know, one was a cable idea and uh, two of them were network ideas. I love that. Yeah. And would you say that was inspired by a story that you read? I love how you put the idea of where the inspiration comes from. So it starts with something that you read, that you watch, that you hear about, and you kind of, your intuition probably mixed with your own experience of whatever emotions are involved. Yeah, um, I think it's like, I think I think development is most effective when, if you've lived it or loved it. Yeah, um, and, well put. Um, I think that, I think, and sometimes it's a combination of both. You right. Know, um, yes. Um, yes. I I grew up wondering whether my father was Tony Soprano, and I think that that has probably influenced a lot yes. of what I have written. Right. And the sort of duality of living a life like that, and hence my obsession with sort of Whitey Bulger and and the Irish Mob, and so I've just read everything on the subject. Yeah. So there might be something in particular that I'm connecting to um, a relationship between a father and son, a relationship between two brothers, a relationship between a group of friends that have known each other for years, um, and then you're building a world around it like how can I make how can I take this and fit this into a network tv show or a cable tv show and then specifically then you can take your pitch and you say all right well if I'm pitching to NBC how will that affect my pitch if I'm pitching to Fox how will that affect my pitch you know what what places can I take this pitch to um so those are all the things that sort of affect the the process you want it but I think that you want it to come from you know, you want it to come because it's a story that you just have to tell. And your passion is there. Yeah. I love that you brought that up about the pitching and, and the different approaches toward different networks on pitching. Um, like if you think back to your first time you pitched a pilot and sold a pilot to your latest pilot that you sold, like what have you learned about the pitching process as far as what seems to really come alive in the room and work in your favor? Um, I think that when I started out pitching, I was pitching the things that had me most excited as a writer. So there would be things that I'd be saying in, I guess the learning curve was that I started out saying like, oh, and there's this great moment in the pilot where this happens and this happens and da, 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 da. Whereas now I pitch with a sort of marketing in mind. Mm -hmm. What is the executive saying? What are, how, how, how do I best set this world up so that they can see a person on a poster? You know, um, and it's learning what it is that they're looking for and keywords and different ways to sort of set up this world so that it's easy to understand so that you give them a lot of different sort of, um, oh, what's like little zingers throughout the course of your pitch that they can then pitch up to whomever it is that they need to talk to about it before they give you the go ahead. Um, right. You know, I mean, I could go on for hours. I did a lot of, I did a lot of um, sort of looking into what goes into a good pitch, um, successful tips from people that had sold pitches. And I sort of developed a formula that works for me. And what I basically do with every pitch is take, you know, take take my idea and stick it into the formula. And it mm -hmm. seems to be, it seems to be at least. What well, would you say the formula is? Oh, God. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, to be to, like and in a general sense, like you're right. going to go in there and you're going to sell, you're going to sell, at least this is what I do. I go in and I try to sell the world as a whole. Like this is a story about a father and son. This is a story about, 
about not being able to escape where you are. And then I and then I sort of seg to what they can wrap their head around. This is a one hour drama set in the world of blank. This is a, you know, and then how if if there is a specific device that helps your pilot work or that helps your, you know, your series work, then you mention that there. And then I sort of dig into the characters, but I don't get too heavy on the characters. I mean, you want sort of these like one it's like you should be able to like summarize your character in a sentence and it should be a sentence that everyone remembers um i love that because i hear writers go on and on and on about characters and i feel like they lose people within that so that i love that you put it that way yeah i feel like it's just it's like this is a guy that you know i'm I'm just like i'm kind of pulling things out of my ass right now but it's like (laughs) this is a guy who returned the case of beers his buddies shoplifted because he knew he was going to get in trouble even when he knew he was going to get in trouble himself like something along those lines you know that he's a good guy you know um so um and then i you know and then i pitch out um how the pilot works and i usually break the pilot before i pitch out how the pilot works but i do not get into great detail in the room i think that i i I sort of gloss over what are the big moments of the pilot Mm -hmm. and then at the at the end i sort of show that why the series can go on for 100 episodes like series arcs um that's sort of that's sort of what i go to and then and then i always leave a little bit of room so that they have an opportunity to to ask questions yeah and, and all and i and, and and i feel like you should get to a place where you always know the answers to those questions yeah i um, love that i love that that yeah. is excellent thank you so much no problem um along the same kind of line like so i asked you what works what are maybe some things through the beginning to now that you learned that really didn't work in the writer's room that maybe you learn through trial and I mean in pitching that you learn through trial and error um reading your pitch right um I but I am I am not the kind of person that can go in there and just pull stuff out of my ass right (laughs) right um no don't be sorry so (laughs) I basically what works for me is writing up a script and then knowing it like the back of my hand so that when I get in the room I can improv and they have no idea that I memorized the script it just sounds like I'm just I'm telling them a story right so that's ultimately what you're I believe you're doing when you go into that room is is like you're telling a story like you all the passion that you have for this idea your job is to have those executives walk out of that room with the same passion um so that's kind of where yay all right now I am so thrilled um, all right, so let's see. Let's jump into so we did we did uh, touch on Slam Dance and Scriptapalooza. So those are two. The Austin Film Festival is a good one. Are there any other ones that you recommend? I don't know. Slam Dance did the most for me. I feel like okay. Scriptapalooza did less. The Slam Dance one for some reason had a cachet about it. I don't know right. why. All right. Um, I don't know why. No, um, that's good. That's uh, good to know. You know, there's a couple. There were definitely other ones that I, you know, that I placed in or. I, but I can't remember them now. Um, and uh, I think it's just, yeah, I mean, I think that the biggest thing was is that, you know, winning some kind of contest or placing in some kind of program, 
gives an agent something to work somebody with. else is giving you validation unless you have yeah. yeah i mean unless you have unless you're a doctor applying for a medical show or you're a lawyer applying for a you know a law show right. you know it's kind of you know they need some sort of way to break it in and and from what i understand it's getting harder and harder to sort of get past that so i, I mean i don't know how it works today this was well a lot, of- a lot of the competitions and writing programs i mean like say for example at NBC, I'm the writing instructor for Writers on the Verge, and we get, last year, we got 1,600 submissions for oh my. eight slots. Yeah, I don't think it was that so, many submissions, yeah. but so I still didn't becomes... get into those programs either. <laughs> I didn't get into it. The Warner Brothers workshop was a big one that I felt like people got jobs out of, at least when I was, and this was, you know, a while back. But, right. Um, but I would was... say Warner Brothers is good. We've definitely had a very strong track record in the last, Four years as well. CBS has done well. ABC, ABC does. I know very ABC well had placed of, a, yeah. a, a one of the writers on um, on Detroit. Yeah, I think came out of well, that. Well, it's part of their program. Yeah, yeah. So so that that is, was that is a great part of their program. Um, all right. So you know what? One part. One thing I do want to touch on, and then we'll go into Detroit one eight seven because I know that was a very fond memory for you, staffing wise. Um, when you talked about your father's story, as far as thinking that you were growing up with Tony Soprano, tell me a little bit more about that as far as, because, you know, I know, like, I've been more, I, I'm currently working with a writer who has a killer pilot idea who did grow up with the mob. Like, that was mm-hmm. who she grew up with, up close and personal. Right. Yeah. So what, uh, what was that story? What? I mean, uh, you mean what is my personal story, or yeah. how have I how I take have I taken that story? And I mean, well, but yeah, you, you probably fictionalized it, obviously, in in a child's mind of yeah. I mean, what... to me, I I don't know. I mean, to me, I grew up with a father that was that was absolutely wonderful and took me to little league games and 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 was there and and you know talked about being the underdog and I had curfews and all of that those kinds of things. But then there was another side where I had begun to suspect through a number of things that maybe he was involved in organized crime or, you know, family members disappeared or <laughs> whatever right. it might be. Right. Um, I, you know, and it's one of those things that today I'm probably, you know, 90 percent sure that he's not. Um, but right. I but I still grew up with that sort of being over my head. And I think that the more credence I gave to it um, and I, the more credence my friends gave to it. And right. then it was it was just by the, the time I graduated high yeah. school, there was this fear of this inherent fear of my father, who to me was absolutely lovely. But I think that it sort of sparked in the writing process, or at least the writing process for me, this sort of duality of the ability to be one thing in one world and another thing in another world. And I find that I keep on returning to that theme and the fact that um, I can, you know, I can write white collar and I can write a lot of other things, but the things that I return to are my father's roots, you know, almost more than my own. Right. Um, and I don't know. I think I, I grew up idolizing my father, so I think that, that that has a lot to do with it. Oh, I think that's great. So now Detroit one eight seven. So this clear was this. Uh, so this was definitely a very positive staffing experience. Tell me, like, how that all came to be, and what you loved about it, and you maybe mentioned some important mentors that came into your life on that show. Um, Detroit one eight seven was. Um, I had just gotten off developing 
the two pilots, and one of the pilots that I developed was with Mandeville um, for ABC, and Detroit 187 was with Mandeville through ABC. So right. Jason Richmond and I were sort of developing at exactly the same time, although I didn't know him. I only, you know, tangentially about hearing like, oh, well, this is what Jason did for this project. And, and, um, and so when Detroit got picked up, I met on Detroit. I was one of the first meetings and um, I, you know, had a great meeting and enjoyed meeting David Zabel, who was the showrunner, and Jason Richmond, who was the creator, and then Paul Shapiro I had developed with. So I had a very strong recommendation coming from Paul and I got staffed on the show. Um, and, um, it was, I mean, it was just one of those things that was great from the start. Um, as far as everybody loved the show so much, um, and they loved what Jason was trying to do in the pilot and what Jason and David continued to do in the series. And, um, and everyone felt like they were part of something pretty special and important because of the fact that we were shooting in Detroit and we were creating jobs. And it was sort of bringing an awareness to a city that's been forgotten for the most part. Um, and, and, you know, and, and writing for Michael Imperioli was just amazing because he's amazing. I mean, mm-hmm. truly, truly spectacular. You cannot ask for a better number one than him. Um, and then, and then David Zabel and Jason Richmond, I can't say enough good things about, you know, um, and all of these different programs, you know, you hear that a great showrunner makes seven other great showrunners. And I, I just feel like David Zabel is that guy, you know, he comes out of the, the John Wells show, yeah. you know, the show running camp and everything is just dialed in and he's inclusive of the process and you know I think everybody would have taken a bullet for either Jason or David because the more you're included the more you want to help out and the more you're willing to do and they were just we were just so hands-on from obviously breaking the story to post-production all the way through it was so just you got to produce your own episodes. you produced your own episodes right. um which is also true has has been true on revenge and right. on close to home in las vegas as well so wow, I, I kind of haven't had a great. show where that hasn't happened but right. um but detroit 187 was by far the most you were given the most responsibility and i feel like everyone sort of you know rose to the top oh that's fantastic um, so touching on, um, so what about like close to home in Las Vegas? What were those experiences like? Um, <laughs> close to home was my first, was my first job. So there right. were, it was obviously eye opening for a number of reasons. Yes. And it was a hard show because it was sort of, um, in a, it was sort of like the red headed stepchild of the Bruckheimer shows at that time. Yeah. And you also had sort of three cooks in the kitchen, which will happen on a lot of the shows. Obviously you have the studio and the network, but we also had we also had Bruckheimer. So it was um, an interesting balance and we were trying to trying sort of desperately to find um, what the show was and to and to try to keep it on the air. So it was it was kind of interesting to witness that, especially coming in where I was witnessing everything. You know, Mm -hmm. I was witnessing a writer's room for the first time. I was witnessing production for the first time. I had never had really any sort of... It wasn't like people were taking me aside and bringing me to set and explaining, you know, piece by piece. So I kind of had to learn a little by little along the way. Right. You know. Um, Right. But the one thing that I will say about Close to Home is that it was amazing to me. Um, I met a lot of women who... um, 
uh, who I'm still friends with today that were incredibly lovely and wonderful to me and took me under their wing and sort of broke things down for me in a way that was not condescending, but still sort of, you know, told me what was going on. Um, That's wonderful. Yeah. I love to hear that. They were fantastic. They were absolute. Lindsay Sturman, Antoinette Stella. Yeah. Um, both, I love Lindsay. Yeah, they're great. I love Antoinette. Yeah, they're great. I think they're both right. on Rizzoli and Isles. Oh, great. Um, but um, they were... I had Janet in here. Oh, yeah, that's great. That's great. Janet. Janet's fantastic. Um, but yeah, so, you know, on that experience, that was that was the biggest thing that I came out of it. You know, we didn't really have a room on Close to Home. It was a procedural. You kind of broke, you know, you kind of decided what kind of case you wanted to do. You pitched it up to the showrunner kind of by yourself. And then it sort of went forward. But you were kind of relegated to your room. And then, I mean, you could have been in there, you know making a bomb, you right. know, no one would have known. Um, right, right. But, um, and then Las Vegas was a little bit different. And um, Las Vegas was definitely like a little bit of a boys club, but in a fun way. I've always right. sort of been that kind of girl. Right. Um, or that kind of boy for that matter. Um, <laughs> um, but it was a lot of fun. And it was it was interesting to see how the kind of stuff you were writing sort of dictated the kind of writer's room you were in. You know, right. Close to Home was very serious. We were investigating murders and then trying to build a court case around it. It was kind of like a kind of messed up law and order structure right Um, and uh in las vegas it's all about you know like sex and gambling and rock and roll so that was the sort of so it was like a breath of fresh air not to say that close to home wasn't you know right fine or anything but um it was sort of just nice to be talking about just regular stuff and not murder right right. (laughs) um well light Having yeah. more light. Having more the light. Darkness. Yeah. But then I was, yeah, but then I was incredibly pregnant. So that's kind of a blur to me. <laughs> um, and I got sick. It was, it was crazy. What about the humor? How, how did you do with the humor on Vegas? Um, it was fine. You know, I think it was just about you're using certain muscles in certain situations. Yeah. And I think it's just about, it's like riding a bike. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it takes a little while to sort of find, you keep know, testing the jokes. And, yeah. You're yeah. keep, te- you know, so it was, it was, um, it was, it was different, but it was good. It was good. It was refreshing, and especially coming off a show that was a little bit on the more serious side. Um, that is great. I love. I love to hear what you have to say about that. Um, before we jump into our final questions, I'm I'm curious. I started thinking about it because it feels like you are so close. Like I think you're going to be a showrunner, definitely. My gut is probably in the near future. Like, what have you gathered from all the showrunners that you've learned from that if you were to run your writing room, what would be some of the habits that you feel would bring about the best environment for a writer's room? Um, I would be in the writer's room, even if I were, like, um, I would be in the writer's room as much as I could. Um, that's the biggest thing, especially if there was any kind of mandate for the show that was sort of harder to tackle. Um, um, David Zabel was a great example of that. He, um, even if he had to be in post or in meetings or whatever it was, he kind of checked in in the morning so that we could pitch what we had, you know, finished up with the day before and checked in around lunch and then checked in. So at every point we had somebody saying yeah keep going with that or no no no, that's not that's not what we should be doing so that's definitely something that I would do um 
I'm trying to think of other things. As far as writers' rooms, I would just I would try to cast the best writers room possible and and keep all the assholes out. Right. Um, right. Good. Um, I have a family, so I'd be out of there by six if <laughs> I could. Good. Good. This um, is someone you all want to work for. <laughs> um, um, and that's another. Mike Kelly is wonderful about that. He is. He is very very. Um, like family centered and it's it's important to him and and he he doesn't want you to you know your family to fall apart at the expense of the show you know he appreciates hard work just like everybody but that's one thing hard work can be done between 10 and 6 though Yes. And of course, there are, you know, when I'm on script, those hours are, yeah. are not joke. those hours. <laughs> no, no. Or when you're on set, they're not those hours. Right. Or, you know, any any point pretty much when you're off the script or off the outline, um, those are not the hours. Right. But, um, um, and and I wouldn't I would try to, to the best of my ability, make people feel like they were part of something because um because I feel like the more that you include people in on your process, the more they feel like they want to do for you. Right. Um, I feel like it's it's sort of just, you know, knowing that every person like, in the well, room really pro. is a part yes. of the team. Yeah, I love so. that. I love that. I think that's fantastic. And I think that that is your destiny. Um, with <laughs> regards to the journey of becoming a working writer in TV for people who are starting the process what advice would you have right yeah. like it's really comes down to that the more you write the better you are and if you the one great thing my husband's an actor and the one great thing about being a writer is that you have total control over what happens you can have the sh- you can you can be staffed on like Dora the Explorer and if you write a kick ass script it can change everything which is a wonderful thing to have um it's a wonderful thing to be in control of that and that being said you can't take advantage of having that control and i feel like you should be just writing all the time like i ate shit for years and i just kept on writing and i'm not saying that that was the secret to my success but that was you know that was certainly part of it don't you feel it's interesting like i i tell writers like you writing is not a quick fix solution, especially when you're like, oh, I hate my career. I want to try something else and then expecting a writing career to happen overnight. Um, it's a practice and it's a lifelong practice where wouldn't you say like you are constantly growing with every show you work on? Absolutely. As a writer. You're, well, you're, con- you're constantly growing with your with your like your your bank of knowledge. You're right. constantly growing with what you're able to do as a writer, because the more experiences you have, the more things you're so- sort of able to like open up the sort of scope of what you can do. You know, like revenge wasn't 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 like a sh- it wasn't like everybody was saying, oh, my God, Nikki Toscano would be so perfect on revenge right they, nobody was saying that you so know? you had to find your way but you find your way and yeah. then you do that um another thing that i heard when i was just starting out that a manager had said when he was like speaking at usc or something like that was if you're not willing to give it five years don't bother giving it five minutes yes and i believe that that's i love that pretty fair and true. i love that i believe it that's about all i, I think that is fantastic now as far as longevity because you have, you're in the midst of really creating a long career, what would you say are some tips for writers who are on shows who, say, for example, I get writers who come to me who 
who are like, Jen, I'm at the mid-level and I would like to be showrunner within five years. What should I do? Um, what do you advise like in, in creating longevity for yourself? Writing clearly is a huge part. Are you continually writing new scripts even when you are staffed? Yes. Good. Um, yes, and it's not, you know, it's definitely not easy, especially Revenge was probably the most challenging one to keep that up um, because it, it it was, we're in the room a lot. Um, it's There's not a whole lot of downtime. And when you were off to script, I mean, I wrote four scripts last year. So literally the wow. moment that I was coming out of any script, I was being pulled, you know, you're getting pulled back into another one. So that was perhaps like the most challenging. But I just think that, you just need to constantly be cultivating that muscle and keeping your agents on your toes and, and, and surprising them with a new pilot or a new script or a new whatever it is just to, you know, like it's, it's obviously going – you don't want to be killing yourself. You obviously don't – if you're not – you don't want to be writing pilots in your spare time when you're on a show and not actually performing on the show. Right. That's, I wouldn't advocate for that. But if you can handle it and you and you have the time, you know – Sometimes it's sometimes it's a good thing I think to even when you're on a show to have something else to to be working on because you get you can get into a habit of being on a show and and it's and it's not this but it's like plugging you know, plugging figures into like an Excel formula. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like you yes. get to a place where you're just like, all right, I know what Victoria has to do here. I know what yeah. so-and-so has to do there. And sometimes there's something really wonderful about just like writing a page that is just so unrelated to anything else you're doing and you're just writing for the love of it. We had, um, we had when we were on Revenge, at the at the very end, we had a little bit of time to um, – work on the finale and and you had like a couple of scenes that you had to write and it was so lovely just like taking so much time with those scenes it's amazing what a gift time can really be when you're writing yes um so that's what i would say you know is and as far as longevity and don't be an asshole right i mean that's the other thing i think yeah that, i think that's, that's an important thing i think it's like i think the having longevity is it's it's kind you know in the this industry is kind of like being in high school and like navigating the navigating the clicks and navigating all the bullshit and and trying to come out on top you know like when you're on a staff i think that you know sometimes sometimes it's really great if you're loud and if you're shining and sometimes the way to shine is to 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 sort of sink back in and and i think that you know the best advice for i that I can give for, you know, being in a or coming into a writer's room for the first time is like, know your room, get to know your room before you start speaking out, like see who's in it, see what personalities are competing, see, see who you should stay away from, see who you should buddy up to. Um, sometimes it takes time. Yeah. To see that. Yeah. But understanding the temperament and the dynamics of a room is huge. Yeah. I love raw. Like yeah. I, I think I remember that about our meeting. Like I remember just feeling like you were so raw and so full of life and so like your energy was contagious and and I think that that is such a huge part and and on that note what so for our last question um so if you were to look at one attribute that you have that you think um, is a major part of your success what would it be um <laughs> probably having heart and having balls i love it um i know those are two things no that's great i would say that um you know 
that that's what I would say. It's a good combination. Being bold is, I mean, being bold, I think, is really, really important. And I think being passionate is, it's it's a wonderful, wonderful gift to have. And I think that I think that passion is contagious in a development situation, in a pitching situation, in a writer's room. I feel like it carries. Um, you know, that's great. So that is wonderful. Well. I am so excited about this interview, I can't tell you. Like, you get so much valuable information. Thank you. You are welcome. It's been my pleasure. Um, Let's see, what do I have coming up? I have a StoryWise pilot teleseminar coming up in August because I had so many people asking me when I was going to do my five-week pilot teleseminar again, which I only do once a year. So I decided to do a two-week pilot teleseminar that is, rather than writing a pilot from scratch, it's go- what we're going to do is work on pilots that you already have and go through the story points and help you set your foundation, revise and rewrite and elevate the pilots that you already have, as well as um, there will be an opportunity to pitch a new pilot. So if you are interested in this, please go to my website, www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com and look under events and seminars And then I will be in Chicago from August 4th through the 12th. And I will be speaking at the Chicago Screenwriters Network. If you are in Chicago and are interested in working uh, together on a one-on-one consult, please contact me. I will be doing some consults during that week because I will be staying for the UFVA, which is also that week through my um, publisher. And I think that is about it. So I want to thank you so much for joining us. And I want to thank Nikki for giving so much of your heart. And I know that this is going to be a tremendous value to so many of you. So thank you. This is Jen Grisanti of Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc. and StoryWise Podcast. You've been listening to StoryWise with Jen Grisanti. If you're looking to get to the next step in your career and need a guide who has been there and knows what it takes, go to www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com. On the website, you can also find the latest on writing programs, feature film festivals, and other writing competitions. This podcast was recorded at the studios of Icebox Logic.